what an opportunity we do have, you know, to be able to think about the next generation, to be able to kind of pay it forward. But one of the things I always like to tell people is that if you've been touched, challenged, or changed with what God has done through Valley Real Life, it's because somebody went before you to encourage you in that process as well. And so each time we have one of these things, it's another opportunity for us to say, wow, what I've received, I want to be able to pave the way for somebody else to also then be able to maybe sit where you're seated. You know, obviously not where you're seated because we know you're pretty possessive about your seats. I've been here long enough. I know you sit in the same spots in the same service. So we'll let them all go to the eight o'clock service, right? You know, and so we want to make sure we were praying about that. My wife and I are praying about that. And I'm going to ask you right now to join me in praying that next week, every cent that comes in is going to go towards this, this endeavor. And we're excited. We're hoping that first part, the theming of the kids area might even happen by this fall and maybe even the uh, indoor playground by the end of this year, early this next year. That's what we're looking at, trying to make sure that that happens so that it can be another bridge to reach our community. Uh, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity that we do have to be able to give to what we've received from you. I pray, Father, that uh, you would just put it on our hearts right now, that you would make it known. You've given us resources, even resources we didn't ask or even anticipate this last year. And what an opportunity that uh, you're going to be able to use in our lives to affect other people relationally and for all eternity. And so we just uh, give back to you what you've given to us, and we just thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here as we conclude our series on death to selfie. It's been an identity series uh, as we've looked at our culture and we've looked at trying to discover and answer the question, who am I? And there's always been two ways to do that. One is through God's eyes. The other is through our own or the world's eyes. And so we've been trying to challenge and encourage you. And I've heard from so many of you that this has been a challenging yet encouraging. It's been a stretching, you know, and a hopeful series as we've gone through. And I don't think today will be any different. In fact, I hope today will be actually more encouraging, you know, than anything else. And so let me just start with this. One of the best and yet hardest parts of life are relationships right? Our relationships. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Friendships are great, but they can also be really hard. Family is great, but it can also be really hard. Well, except my family, it's just butterfly kisses and roses all the time. Right, honey? Yes. You know, no, it's actually really hard. Church family is great, but it's hard. I mean, church would be absolutely amazing if it wasn't for the people or the pastors. It'd be awesome. It'd be epic. See, there's nothing like knowing that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you are valued and you are encouraged by receiving that from others. And on the other side, there's not many more things that are more painful than the arguments, the betrayal, the disappointments, and the gossip that takes place in and through relationships. So let's be honest for just a second. It is called Valley Real Life for a reason. How many of you, when you think about any of your relationships, work, neighborhood, friends, family members, in-laws, outlaws, whatever you call them, how many of you right now are having just a little challenge with at least one of those relationships? Raise your hand. All right, see, we're all in this boat, you know, together. Uh, by the way, I, I should have told you, uh, if, if it was the person sitting next to you, please don't raise your hand. But now that you have, uh, we do have professional licensed counselors that would love to meet with you after service. <laughs> so when it comes to our core identity, there is a lie that we get trapped into. It doesn't sound like a lie at first, but it really is. Here is the core identity lie. I am my relational status. I am my relational status. 
If you process through this, relationships are awesome, but they can't be the thing that defines who you are because relationships, all of them will change at some point in your life, which we'll get to in just a second. They just will. They're going to change at some point in your life. And here's what I see over and over and over is myself and other people are going through life trying to find value, worth, and identity through the lives and the eyes of someone else. It could be a friendship, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a grandparent, could be a parent. We're looking for I matter, my life matters, I am important, I, you fill in the blank, and we try to see it through the lives of someone else. And so if you get nothing else out of today, this is the only part I want you to hear, and this is what it is. You know, our core identity comes from Jesus, and Jesus says our relational identity is in him. Out of our relational identity in him, do we get to then experience or are challenged by all the other relationships we're supposed to experience in life? See, our core is in him, and then out of him, we can then become the best friend, spouse, coworker, neighbor, friend. But when we reverse those two is where we find ourselves in an identity crisis. If not now, it'll happen over time. Uh, let me actually show you how this works. Um, I was or am a friend, and so are you. You've got friends in your life, but my friendship cannot be tied as a core identity because that friendship is probably going to change at some point in life. Maybe they're going to move away. Uh, maybe uh, you're going to change. Are you going to grow? Those kinds of things happen, and if your identity is solely through the eyes of that person, that's going to cause you an identity crisis. Now, we see this played out a lot of times in elementary, middle school, and high school. Right? We're looking for our validation through the eyes of other people, so we want to kind of be in the in crowd. We want to hang around with people who are going to accept us, who are going to make us fill some sort of void that we're, fit, that we're uh, feeling on the inside. In fact, in the digital generation, what we see more than anything else is, is uh, psychologists have discovered the importance of the like, right? Clicking that button and what it makes us feel because I'm trying to find my worth and my identity through the eyes of someone else. Is it bad to have friends? No, but that's not how God wired us in terms of our core identity. We think sometimes that when we graduate, that ends. It doesn't. Have you ever been around someone who's a name dropper? You know, a friendship name dropper? Like, and, and, and what they're doing is they're trying to say, look at me, my life matters, I'm important because I have a good relationship with the mayor. Did you know that I have a relationship with the, with the best businessman? Do you know I have a relationship with that, you know, sports athlete? You know I had that relationship, and they just name drop all the time. I remember I was, uh, you know, playing golf one time with a guy who would not stop name dropping, and it was driving me absolutely crazy. You know, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm friends with them. You know, so-and-so, like, I care. You know, but they're, they're finding this validation that, so, you know, if you know me a little bit, at, eventually I might play with people a little bit. I get a little snarky. <laughs> so about the second hole, you know, um, I lean over to him. I said, hey, you know what? I've got a really important friend in my life. He says, really? I said, yeah, his name is Dan Shields. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, he is handsome. Amazing, smart, outstanding. Man, you should get to know this guy. He goes, oh, man, yeah, I will. He never asked me my name the entire round because it was all about him. So I, I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is great. See, one thing will never change if you accept and follow Jesus. When it comes to your core relational status is you're his forever friend. 
You're his friend. We are friends with Jesus. That is a core relationship. And out of that core relationship, you can then be the best friend to someone else in your life. See how that works? See, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. Jesus is a friend that will never leave you, never forsake you, never gossip about you, never stab you in the back, never betray you, but also be the one to tell you the truth when you need it. When some of the friends that we have in our lives are just there to try to pump us up and validate us, Jesus is like, no, 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 I love you enough to actually reveal truth in your life. Now that is a friend that we need. That's a core identity. How about uh, romantic relationships? Right? How many of us try to find our identity through these romantic relational statuses? For example, I was a boyfriend. Not currently, because that would be awkward. I was a boyfriend at some point in my life. Have you ever been someone's boyfriend or girlfriend? Have you ever had that identity tied to that person or know somebody else who's tied to that person? No matter what anybody else says to say, you know what, this may not be a healthy relationship. The person can't break it off because their identity is entrapped with this other person. So they're willing to do things they wouldn't normally be willing to do. They're willing to compromise things they wouldn't normally compromise because they found their identity connected to this relational status. And is it bad to have these romantic relationships? Absolutely not. But when you don't put the core as the core, then you find yourself floundering. I'll even go another step further. I'm a spouse, specifically a husband. Many of you, you know, have husbands, your wives, your spouse as well. And this one's a tough one because the Bible talks about how the two become one flesh, that you're no longer, you know, individuals, but you're together. But what happens when that relationship changes and you're no longer a spouse? Because it'll happen to all of us. It'll happen in one of two ways. One is that you might be a person who experiences a divorce. And you've gone through a heartache. And whether it be your choice or somebody else's choice, you get to the point that makes it really, you know what really makes a divorce hard is when you've attached your identity to that person. And it makes it very, very challenging, very painful. Here's the other reality. I know it's not really an encouragement on this day. Even those of you who get married and stay married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, the high probability is one of you is going to die before the other person. And I'm sorry, guys, it's most likely going to be you. That's a whole different sermon. Why? Why the guys? Anyway, um, so, you know, guys, you know, tell you this. So that means, you know, that means that you are not going to be married up until the very moment that you actually pass away together. There is going to be a season many of you ladies are going to painfully experience. And I've talked to so many widows, and there's probably very fewer things on this side of eternity that's more painful than losing a spouse or a child on this side of eternity, especially if you've been married very, very, very long. Do you know what's even more painful is two, three, four, five years, even though the pain never changes, that you're still trying to figure out who you are. I know my mom told me this three years after my dad passed away. She says, Dan, I just need to tell you, I just don't know who I am anymore. And again, the pain is going to be there until this side of eternity, until you, you actually go into the next side. But she was struggling with her identity because she told me her identity was, was completely engulfed and connected to my dad. And are we supposed to have those deep relationships? Yes. But out of relationship with Jesus as the core, do we have those kinds of healthy relationships in our lives? In fact, a relational identity is we are married to Jesus. 
Yep, sounds weird and awkward, I know. But you and I are married to Jesus. In fact, maybe you're like me and you wanted to date a girl, you know, in high school or college, but you went to a Christian school. And Christian schools, sometimes we have some weird language. We say weird things. Like when I was in, in college, there would be a phrase, like uh, uh, I would try to pursue a gal, and she would say to me, well, I don't really want to date anybody. I'm really dating Jesus right now. I'm like, how can you compete with Jesus, right? <laughs> like, well, okay, come you know, dating with Jesus. But the hard part was six months later, she's dating another guy. And then I'm thinking, what did Jesus do to get dumped? I mean, I'm just like, what, what in the world? <laughs> you know, how messed up is that? You know, but that's, that's just my own issues, my relational issues in my life. See, the idea relationally, honestly, is that like marriage, remember when you got married, you actually said these words, we're going to be married till death do us part. That's the separation of that time. But when you're married to Jesus, it's a covenant. And so we get a little experience, we have a little understanding on this side, the best that you can possibly experience in the context of a marriage relationship, when it's an absolute best, it's just like being married to Jesus and then add about a billion and that's what it's going to be like. And we start on this side of eternity, we have this covenantal relationship. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Paul writes, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband Christ. See, the bride and the bridegroom, we're actually, that's the Bible's only way of trying to help us uh, finite minds understand the covenant, commitment, and connection and identity that we have in this intimate connection with Jesus Christ. In fact, many of you have, mar have read uh, marriage passages in the Bible, but I wonder if you understand the marriage passage is just an illustration of what we're talking about right now. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and his church are one. He's trying to help us understand the deep, covenantal, intimate value that takes place. So when you understand that my core connection was Jesus, that I'm married to Jesus, that he's the one that fulfills me, then all of a sudden I'm able to then go into a marriage in the way that God has designed because I'm not asking or expecting this person to complete every part of me. And where I get messed up is when I think that my wife is not doing enough, you know, acting a certain way because I have insecurities or I have issues going on that I should actually find from Christ that she encourages me with, but she's not my sole identity. And out of my identity with Christ, I can then have some of the greatest relationships that God has called me to have. See, I know so many people that get into marriage hoping the other person's going to complete them, and then they're like, well, this person didn't work, let me just go find another and then another, and another, and what you realize is you're never going to find the person who's going to complete you in the way that Jesus has created and designed you, which only comes from him, and then out of him, you can experience the kind of relationships he wants you to experience. That's the way he designed it. Now, this is usually where someone says, wait, 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 Dan, Dan are you saying that I'm not married to my spouse in heaven? Bad news, no marriage in heaven. For some of you, that might actually be good news, but I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> can I say that at church, Jay? I don't, I don't know. Okay, Matthew 22, uh, 30. Let's get back on track. For when the dead rise, Jesus says, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Again, imagine the most intimate relationship that you can possibly have, and you're going to have that with Jesus, and you're going to have that with other people, just not in a married-type situation. I mean, imagine for a second... 
that you have gone through more than one marriage, that maybe you have been widowed and you've gotten remarried and widowed and gotten remarried, who are you going to be married to in heaven? I mean, for goodness sakes, you've all seen sister wives. It ain't healthy, folks. It does not work, you know, this side or the next side of eternity. But you will have the intimate connection and then so with your believing spouse and with Christ in the way that he has wired and designed you to have for all eternity. That's the intimacy that he provides. Well, how about as a family? When it comes to our racial relational status, this is a big one, right? I'm a brother, I'm a sibling, I grew up in a family household or Probably the biggest one is that when we identify ourselves as parents, okay? We identify ourselves as parents. How many times have unintentionally you've lived and died by your kids' successes or failures? And their successes obviously point to you and you feel really good about your identity, about how awesome you are. And then their failures point to you and you feel really awful about how awful you are. And you're like, whoa, 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 this isn't good. Or maybe some of my favorite, not only because this is my world I live in, ever been to sporting events for youth and watched the dads? Holy cow. You know, the dads are doing everything. I'm like, you are literally trying to live your identity through this child because you sucked in high school, they're doing well, and now you're feeling good. I'm like, really? But you see this all the time that they're so wrapped up in this. Moms, you're not off the hook. See, here's the thing, moms, your kids will grow up. And if your identity is I'm a mom, guess what? They're going to grow up and they're going to eventually get married and have their own kids and they're not going to see you as mom in the same way. You'll always be their mom. It's just going to be completely different. So if your identity is as a mom, how many times do we see divorces take place when people are 20 to 25 years of marriage, when their kids are gone and graduate and they look at each other and they're like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Why? Because their entire identity and purpose was through the life of their kids. And that's not the way God wired us. See, he wired us to be in relationship with Christ so that in Christ is our true identity so that we can be the best parents that God has called us to be. In fact, one of the things that he tells us is don't think of us more as parents, think of us more as kids. You and I are children of God. That is who we are. That is our identity. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. See, we're all created in God's image, but we don't become a part of God's family or as his child until we have faith and have accepted him. That's not my words, that's God's words. Galatians 3.26, For you are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. 1 John 3.1, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. That's your identity. A child of God. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they just don't know who he is. See, when we accept Christ, we are his kids. And by becoming of kids, you get to be part of something bigger because you're not an only child. Okay, there's a whole bunch of issues I could talk about only children's syndrome. But uh, you're not the only child, right? We are children. That means we're, we have a spiritual family. I don't know what family you grew up in. It could have been a great family. It could have been an awful family. It could have been an amazing family. But there's a reason why the Bible calls the church the family of God while we're brothers and sisters in Christ with God as our Father. Matthew 12, Jesus has this awkward conversation that illustrates this point. As Jesus is speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. So Jesus asked, who are my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
See how the family of God works? Doesn't mean you can't have those other, you know, extenuating family relationships, but he says out of this family is what we're supposed to be practicing and learning and growing so that we can be better in our other family relationships the way that God has wired us. And as part of God's family, we have an eternal father, one who is good. Matthew 7, 11 says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? What's the second word of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. He teaches us that that's the relational family connection we're supposed to have. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. One of these days I'm going to do a sermon. Because I've grown up, you know, like many of you have, um, Believing that God loves me, that he loves me, that he died for me, that that was proof that he loves, he loves, he loves. One of the things I realized a number of years ago that I struggled with is I wondered if God liked me. See, we know God loves, but when I sin, when I make mistakes, when I fall short, I have this image of God, some of it growing based on my growing up years, because that's what we have. Our view of God oftentimes comes through the lens and the perspective, right or wrong, of our view of our earthly fathers. And so we read scriptures that way. And so when I felt shame or distance or that kind of stuff in my life, I'm like, oh, I don't know if God really likes me. He wants me to be around him right now because I've screwed up or made mistakes. And yet he does. See, one of the issues that we have, if you happen to be a follower of Christ, is that we've forgotten who we are. You've forgotten who you are. And we unintentionally get sidetracked and wrapped up into these other relationships thinking and then finding ourselves very disappointed that they're not fulfilling in the way that we thought it was supposed to be. And we look at it and see, well, if the other person would just, then God's like, no, 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 no. It's because you're not getting that from me as your core identity. You've forgotten who you are. Go ahead and check out this clip with me now. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look at that. You see, he lives in How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No! 
mother! See, when you accept Christ, it changes your identity. And when your core identity is in who he's created in you, when you accept him, he comes inside of you. And when you look into the mirror, you should not just look at you, but you should understand that Christ is in you. And some of us have forgotten who we are. And we start going after some of these other things. And we find ourselves, like I said, disappointed in all of that. Understanding that you are part of the family of God. That he who created you loves you and wants to fulfill the, the inner parts of who we are. So that you can live in the way that God's called you to live in all of your other relationships. Because you're relying on him. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I lived in Sacramento. with my where our two boys were born. And uh, the Sacramento, believe it or not, has an NBA basketball team uh, called the Sacramento Kings. Uh, they're usually trash, but back then they were great. You know, they were awesome. They had uh, Chris Webber and Mike Bibby and, you know, and Peja Stoyakovich, Vlade Divac. They were competing with the Lakers for championships back then. And, and Carolina and I got a chance from time to time to go to some of these games. Well, uh, one year uh, we discovered uh, that there was the head trainer for the Kings actually went to our church. And so he invited us to go to a game. And so we we're like, well, that ought to be fun. Now, if you've been to an arena, a sporting event, especially a professional one, if you get to sit on the lower bowl of an arena, it's epic. And so we're sitting down in kind of the lower section, and uh, he says, oh, by the way, food is included. We're like, awesome. He goes, just wear these name tags and just kind of head towards, you know, the floor when you're hungry, and they'll, they'll tell you where you can get some food. So we sit there for a while, and I don't know, it's about halftime or something like that. And we're like, oh, you hungry? Yeah, let's go get some food. So we start making our way down towards the floor. Now, that's usually when the usher stops you and says, sorry, I need to see your ticket before you go any further. And there's like, you may continue to proceed. I'm like, well, this is awesome. We literally get down to the floor. I'm standing on the floor with Caroline. I'm like, this is just crazy. And they're like, oh, you have to go this way, sir. And they, they walk us to where the players run in and out of the tunnel. You know, you're just like, what? We're going to the players' entrance? And so we walk down, you know, that, you know, that hallway, and we walk around the corner, you know, and then uh, they say, well, then go ahead and go into this room. And you walk into the room, and there's all this food that's there. And it's free because I checked, you know, so all this food is free. And so we get to like, we're piling it up, you know, we're, we're having a good time. We sit down at some tables and there's other people that are in the room. Well, very soon do we realize, wait a minute, this person I'm talking to, this is Peja Stoyakovich's mom. Oh yeah, there's Mike Bibby's relatives. Oh, that's Chris Webber's relatives. We're in the family and friends suite area. And we got invited there. Why? Because my name's Dan Shields, that's why. No. Right? I'm nothing. There is nothing that gets me into that entrance. There is nothing that gets me backstage. There is nothing there. It's because of my relationship and connection to the trainer that allows me to go places that I could never go on my own. Guys, you need to understand that when you accept Christ, you are royalty. You are the king and son of the daughter and daughters of the king of kings and lord of lords. You have access to the throne room of God. You have access, you know, to the king of kings. You have access to be a part of things that you and I don't deserve to be a part of, but because of what Christ has done, he puts that on us that allows us to be something we could never be apart from him. We're royalty. That's the coolest part about this. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 
See, relationships are critical in life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have the privilege, you have the obligation, you have the right, you have the opportunity to share this good news with as many people as possible on this side of eternity because the only thing you and I can take with us when we die are other people. That's it. Our role and our opportunity when our identity is in Christ is to then out of relationship, extend that invitation and share in word and deed who he is in this region and around the world while we still have breath. So we continue to add to God's kingdom and we continue to bring him glory and him honor because that is who we are. So as we close, God is inviting you today to be part of his family. For some of you, this is gonna be the defining moment of your life. To be able to say, you know what? I've been trying to find my identity through all these other relationships and I realize as my creator, God, Jesus himself, that I can find it best and solely through him so that I can be the person that God's called me to be in all these other relationships. And for those of you who have accepted Christ, maybe this is one of those reality checks to remember who you are to go back and to be able to say, you know what, my value, my worth, my identity is not in any of these other relationships. It's in Christ, and I need to confess that to God so that I can be the best husband, friend, coworker, neighbor, parent that he has created me to be because he is my core. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. For today, thank you for the opportunity we have to be reminded or maybe for the first time to recognize you as our core relationship. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, I pray that you'd pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to identify any areas. It's so easy. I've seen it so many different times, even days or weeks in my life where I've tried to find my identity through the eyes of another. And I pray, Father, you would help me, you'd help others to be able to have our core identity, purpose, meaning, significance come from you so that we can be the people you've called us to be in all these other relationships. Thank you for being the core identity that never changes and will carry out through all eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we close, I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you head to the cross. And I would love to talk to you about that decision. Or maybe it's to be baptized. If that's the next step, then this is the time to head over there. Maybe you just need prayer. They would love to talk to you about that. So we're going to go in a time of singing. It's usually our, our, our song of commitment. We always try to pick a song that illustrates something that we've been talking about and that we can either agree with or sing along to. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Even now, will you join me and stand as we sing the song together?